Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> Welcome to A Word with Tom Merritt. I'm Tom Merritt, and this is the show where I get to sit down with some of the smartest, most interesting people in the world uh, and talk about how we think, because none of us thinks exactly the same way as anybody else. And there's so much to deal with in this world of ours uh, that none of us can be an expert on everything. So figuring out and comparing notes about how we think about the world is really important in navigating the ever-increasingly information-rich world in which we live. I had conversations like this growing up with my grandma Roxy in her front room, with my grandpa Carl in his front room. Those really molded my way of thinking and really trained me to this moment right now. Welcome to the front room, Rob Dunwood. Mr. Crane. <laughs> How is it going? Um, I don't know why I just called you Mr. Crane, but uh, that intro reminded me of an English professor. Oh, really? Um, he actually was a professor of English, but he was my, I believe, my 11th grade English professor. And you just sounded like him <laughs> doing that intro. So I felt the need to shout out Mr. Crane. Did you like Mr. Crane? I did. He was one of okay, my, good, uh, good. <laughs> so yeah, he, he was one of my favorite, uh, you know, uh, teachers in high school. I'll take I take so, that as uh, a, as a high compliment. Then. Yeah, he, he's passed away years ago, but it, it just, it just reminded me of Mr. Crane from 11th grade. Your, your Mr. Crane is like my Miss Wilson. Miss Wilson was like that, uh, for me. Um, Rob Dunwood, uh, you are a podcaster. You're a tech executive. Uh, you're a pro. You're, you're a blogger. Uh, how do you describe yourself these days? Um, today, these days, and, and this, this is a change. I actually describe myself as the, uh, the, the founder and CEO of a podcast centric media company. Um, because this is what I do now. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you say tech executive. That was a long, 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 long time ago. Like that was like, that was like pre pandemic stuff, mm -hmm. 20, you know, 20, 2019, early 2020, <laughs> which even if it's four uh, years ago is like 300 years ago at this point. Right. right? Yeah. Um, but I, I, I had the opportunity to, uh, le you know, leave an organization and, uh, you know, did very well for myself and said, you know what? I want to sit for a year. And just chill and just figure out what's next. That's great. And about six months into that sitting and figuring out what was next, we were in smack dab <laughs> at the beginning of a pandemic. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm not going back to work now. <laughs> and every year I kind of reassess and it's like, you know what? I kind of like this podcasting thing. So, uh, yeah, I am the founder and CEO of a podcast media centric, uh, media company. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a good one too. Uh, it's, uh, there's some, some good stuff coming out of, of what you do, uh, including the tech John, uh, which we'll talk about more at the end. Uh, but, but go look it up, uh, folks. Uh, the word 
This is the first time I'm using two words. Uh, so I guess it's a phrase more than a word. But the word I wanted us to, to use to kick off our conversation was code switch. Um, when you were launching the tech, John, that was one of the things you talked about because we were we were chatting about that that show and saying you wanted to have a tech show where you didn't code switch. For anybody who doesn't know what that means, how do you explain what code switching is? So uh, th- there there's a definition. And then there is a definition that people who generally look like me, black and black and brown folks tend, tend to use. So, so code switching is, is literally the, the way, the way I say it is changing the way you talk, take changing the way you act, um, even changing the way you dress in, in certain, mm. you know, instances to make, uh, you know, a majority uh, of folks feel comfortable with you. So uh, we're we're in the African American community. When you're talking about code switching, this is generally what you do at work. This is when you're a little kid. It's like, Mama, who was that talking on the phone? It looked like you, but it didn't sound like you. <laughs> um, you know, type things because there's just a different voice that you use. There is a different, uh, you know, you know, mannerisms that you carry yourself, and you're doing it to put generally white people at ease with you. To, to make it easier for you to navigate through, um, you know, spaces. For me, I've been in technology my entire career. They today are still incredibly, uh, you know, um, there's not a lot of diversity in them. Um, when I first got started, it was not uncommon to be the only black person in the company or one of six or seven black people in the company. So, you know, code switching was a way to make others feel comfortable with you just so that you can navigate through those spaces more easily. And, and what, how is that viewed? Uh, Cause I imagine uh, for a lot of people in the audience, uh, maybe the movie, sorry to bother you is the first thing they think of when they hear that uh, and sort of treating it a little bit humorously. Uh, is it is it viewed as like a, a a weird thing that you have to do? Is it do you kind of resent having to do it? Like what 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 is your view on it? It's incredibly tiring and difficult to do. I've described it this way before. It's almost like you're acting. Mm-hmm. You're acting. You're playing yourself, but you're playing another version of yourself. You're n- you're not able to be completely authentic. Mm-hmm. And just if you were to ask any actor who actually goes out and, and does lines incredibly well, that's tiring because it's not them. It is the character that they're portraying, even if the character is themselves. Yeah, there's a cognitive so, load going on. Yeah. Right. So they, they, they're, there's a lot of mental stress uh, that, you know, that, you know, I, I can't talk, you know, you know, I, I refuse to talk for all black people. There are way too many of them, you know, of us, but my perspective, and I think a perspective that many of us share is that that is incredibly, uh, you know, hard work that we feel particularly earlier in our careers that we kind of have to do just to get along. Mm. And it almost makes you resentful that you have to do it. Why can't I be me at work? Why do I have to play this role to make white people feel more comfortable with me? That is generally how it is perceived. So, uh, you know, in, in, in recent years, I would say in the 2020s, you know, it has been frowned upon and even organizations are looking at if you have a large percentage of your, you know, of your workforce, uh, you know, that is actually feeling like they need to be something else at work. That is not good for you. So frowned upon, I don't know if we, if we go that strong. Um, but, uh, you know, 
I know folks like me don't like having to do it. And at this point in my career, I try absolutely not to. I, I am not about the white gaze at all. Well, and that's what I was going to ask. What happens if you don't do it? If you just are like, you know, I'm not going to play that game. So for me, I am a six foot four and a half, 295 pound defensive tackle. Um, shouldn't be this way, but just being that large of a black man, and you, being a black man in America puts, you know, s- certain people at, you know, at unease. Being that large and physically, um, you know, uh, you know, physically bigger than most humans, um, even makes it worse. So it's like a multiplier. When, <laughs> so when you don't do it in certain situations, you could literally be putting yourself at risk. Mm. Um, we, you know, we, we talk about, you know, Karenicity these days and pe- people being Karens and, and, and calling, uh, the police on people for just existing in spaces. That's not a new thing. It's just that video cameras and, you know, or I shouldn't say video cameras, uh, cell phone cameras are just really good, have really good speakers or, or I should say really good microphones and really good glass in them to where you can capture this in very high fidelity on tape and get it out to the Internet um, literally instantaneously. It's been happening literally forever. Um, so there are situations just from a safety standpoint, you kind of do it just so you make sure that, you know, hey, any problems here? It wasn't me. I, you know, I am I, I'm the I'm the nice black guy you don't have to worry about. Yeah, I, I can imagine cases, uh, especially when you bring up the videos and, and, and that, uh, you know, being in a park or a public place. W- what about at work? It feels like that shouldn't be the same, is it? Um, so when I, when I think about this, it, it was probably 10, 15 years into my in, into my career. Um, when I had attained some stature to where I was running some things at some level to where I could kind of sit back and say, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. Why am I, what, you know, literally in my mind, I would say things like, why am I fronting trying to make you feel better about who I am? Um, you don't even really know me. Um, and you know, you, you just see this caricature of, of me in my mind. That's kind of how I felt. And I really tried to stop doing it. Now, code switching is not something that just African Americans or, you know, you know, Latinx Americans, uh, you know, go through. This is things that everybody do. And when you, when you really look at the, uh, you know, you know, at what does code switching mean is, is essentially when you're just changing your mannerisms, changing the way that you talk to make an audience feel comfortable with you. Um, and there are times when that's actually a good thing. It's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. In all situations, but because I am African-American and there's so much just so much racial tension still in this country, one of the main reasons that we do it is to, you know, like I said, to put white people at ease with us. So it makes our navigating through that that part of society much easier for us. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point, because a lot of people might hear this and say, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I put on a face for different situations you know like you say it's good uh if you're a teen uh meeting the parents of the person you're dating uh to be polite maybe a little more polite than you would normally be there's nothing wrong with that um and in fact one of the reasons i wanted to talk about this was because i have done something that i feel is similar but i know it's different and i wanted to explore that uh growing up 
I had a very Southern Illinois accent, which people would probably think is Southern if they're not from the South, but it's a little different than the deep South, uh, but, but more, more of an accent. And I consciously got rid of that. I originally got rid of it because I wanted to be on radio and to be on radio at the time in the 1980s, uh, you had to sound like a radio person. I kept doing it because there I found that I got along better, uh, that, that people, especially when I went away to school where there are a lot of people from Chicago, uh, and, and elsewhere around the world, uh, that I was looked at differently when I spoke that sort of flat radio way of speaking than in that sort of accent, which I didn't originally even understand that I had, uh, until I started to pay attention to it. So, would you even call that code switching? Because for one thing, it's permanent. It's not something I go back and forth with. I only slip into my native accent when I'm talking on the phone to somebody from back home. Uh, and so would you even call it that? And and if not, what do you have an idea of what we should call that? That's, that's a really interesting. Uh, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, and it's, it's an interesting way that you put it. Is, is it code switching? Um, yeah, cause I, I don't know that it is anymore for you because I don't think you think about it as you're doing it. The way you talk now is simply just the right. way you talk now. When you were talking about it yourself. being tiring, I'm like, it, maybe it was at one point, but I've, it's become just a thing that I, I, I can't control anymore. So no, it's not really tiring. No. So, and then, you know, I, I don't know how long you've been out on the West coast, but a, another part of it is just that over time. You just, you know, you, you talk like the people who you're around. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that that's code switching because you're not consciously doing it. It's just something. It's just there, there was a conscious decision. I need to have this radio announcer voice at one point. But you've trained yourself to talk like a radio announcer. And that's what you sound like pretty much all the time now. So I don't know that that's the same thing. I, I, I'm not an expert. On it, so I'm not yeah, going to say yeah, that neither it's not. Neither one of us are. So we're not, and we're yeah, not but, pretending. But, but, but I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, you know, and there's a, you know, I believe it was Dave Chappelle says that basically every African-American is bilingual mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we used to call it slang and then we started calling it Ebonics. And, and now we're actually getting into where a lot of scholars are saying, no, the way that African-Americans speak is not Ebonics, is not slang, is actually a vernacular, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. referred to it now as African-American vernacular English to where we are talking, uh, you know, ways that a lot of times immigrants who don't speak English natively speak, where you drop adverbs, mm-hmm. you drop prepositions, you basically are speaking in a way to get the information to and from the people who speak the language you're, that you're trying to speak well. But if you think about, and you know, it goes all the way back to slavery, to where you literally had a bunch of different tribes who who were brought here on you know on boats. They spoke different languages, so not only did they have to figure out how to speak to their white owners back then, but they had to figure out how to speak to each other. So there were parts of different, you know, tribes, different places from Africa, different places from, uh, you know, from the islands that, you know, you started to mash all this up and you got all these, you know, this basically Creole to where you're just mashing a bunch of different um, languages together. And much of this is just, is just stuck around. So if you, if, you know, um, particularly when you go down south, but even when you go up north, I mean, you, you're going to hear this, you know, as far as like, you know, up, you know, up in Toronto, um, when you hear African Americans who, you know, who came through, you know, the diaspora, 
they generally will have, and like I said, I, I, I don't, in fact, I even said, general, I don't like saying that, but generally you're going to see that most African-Americans, um, and this is not all, but many African-Americans, they speak significantly different amongst themselves than they do um, amongst, uh, you know, you know, other, you know, other groups. And this is not just in African-American things. I think you're going to see this with anyone who speaks a different vernacular or a different language. You know, I, I you know, how, how do you get by? Uh, like I, I think about like my my grandparents, uh, you know, w- one set of my grandparents were from Savannah, Georgia, uh, you know, where uh, th- they basically sp- spoke Gullah and Geechee. Mm-hmm. And to hear my grandparents when I was young speaking to it, you know, to each other, it was not English like we we, we hear today. Um, I could understand it because I grew up in it, but it's not something that I could speak, but it, it literally was almost like a different language that they're speaking to each other. When I would hear my grandmother and her sisters mm-hmm. talk to each other, like, you know, you, you really have to pay attention and work hard to, to keep up with that. These, these are folks who were born in the early 1900s. So it's not like it's really that, you know, that, that long ago, you know, my, my grandmother was born in 1916. So we're, we're talking just over a hundred years ago that, uh, you know, folk, you know, someone who learned how to speak complete proper English. She was actually, before she moved for the, you know, before she, you know, moved up North, she actually was a school English teacher. So she spoke the Queens English, as mm-hmm. she would say quite well, um, you know, when she wanted to, but when she was relaxed and when she's on the phone with my, you know, with my great aunt or my great uncles, it was something completely different. That sounds like, a different language, right? And and uh, vernacular, dialect. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's all all kinds of different terms. And if we had a linguist with us, we could we could go down that rabbit hole. But uh, suffice to say that there isn't an English. Uh, if you watch the story of English documentary or read the book, uh, PBS did back in the day. It's a good introductory look at that idea that that English. There's hundreds, if not thousands of variations on it. Uh, and so when you think about it that way, it does make more sense that, yeah, what you're doing when you code switch isn't just an accent like what I was talking about. I was talking about losing an accent. And yeah, we have a few words like roached or whatever that, you know, we throw in uh, where I'm from that that aren't used everywhere. But it's it's not the same. It's on on the continuum as having to think in a different language and then speak a different language. Anybody who has learned a different language understands like, oh, yeah, when you're speaking and thinking in your native language, it's always easier than the one you've learned, even if you're fluent. Uh, and that that seems more similar to what you're talking about. Yes, because uh, like when I, when I think about it, if you and, and you've you've heard SMR podcast mm-hmm. when Chris Rod and I get going, the language gets a lot looser, and yeah. you, you know, and it's it's like you know, folks will say it's like I, I could tell he was black. Well, how could you tell? Well, because of the toner and the tempo and the words that they used. Um, you know, you might hear Bama for real, you know, like things that you might think are derogatory, but actually are terms of affection is, is basically just based off of the cultural, you know, the, you know, the way we grew up culturally and the way that we throw words at each other to where you literally could see, you know, hear someone and it's, well, it sounds like they're arguing and they're not. They are just having fun with something that happened. They're, they're, they're telling, they're, you know, we're, we're telling a story. I'm saying it like I'm not one of the three, uh, you know, of us, but, uh, you know, th- th- there is that thing. 
I, I, I do believe that usually when folks listen to me talk after they get about 10, 15 seconds, they don't have a question that I am probably an African-American mm-hmm. um, that either had folks from the South or grew up in the South. Just how I talk. Yeah. But, you know, when you listen to other shows, maybe not so much. You know, mm-hmm. um, um, it, it's, it's, it, like I said, at this point in my career, I truly try not to code switch. Um, I, if I am, it is definitely not because I'm trying to, you know, to, to white gaze anything. And for yeah, those yeah. who don't know what guy, white gaze is, is basically, um, you know, making sure that I sound a way that is going, you know, I, I'm thinking about how white people are going to hear what I'm saying. I don't generally do that anymore. Um, so, uh, so, so I've taken that mental load off, but you, you talk, you know, you're going to talk like the people that you're around generally. So when I get around my boys, conversation is going to be a little bit different. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily have that kind of conversation with my grandparents. I wouldn't necessarily, you know, my grandparents are gone at this point. I wouldn't have that kind of conversation with my parents. The, you know, even with my parents, I would talk differently. So that is a level of code switching. It's just for different reasons. That's more out of respect for them than, uh, you know, I'm not calling my dad Bama. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, it's a term of endearment for a friend, uh, not a term of respect for an elder, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It, I I really do feel that that's helpful to to understand what this is to to think about it on the language. You you have to understand that there there's it's not as simple as there's English and Italian and and all of this. It, it, once you understand that and know that within any language there are there are variations, there are vernaculars, uh, and then you know things that are just accents slip into vernacular, slip into dialect, slip into uh, whole sub languages. In Korean, because I'm teaching myself Korean, it's always translated as dialect. Um, but they have these regional versions of Korean that are very different and they have different words and they have accents and all of that. Uh, in Spain, they have the same thing. Uh, there's Spanish, which some people will start to argue isn't even a language. It's Castilian because it's the language spoken in Madrid. Uh, but then Barcelona has their own, uh, language. Uh, the Basque country has its own language. They're similar but they're different. There's regionalisms. And uh, the thing that's difficult when you're talking about black history and the black population is that there isn't a region, I guess the South ish, right? Mm -hmm. But there isn't a region. And so that combined with the history of racism and slavery, uh, keep people from acknowledging that, yeah, this is, this is its own subcategory of language. The way Creole is the, the way English spoken in Nigeria is, uh, the way English spoken in Australia is it's slightly different. Yeah. So one of the things that when we first started the conversation and I'm saying, you know, from, you know, from, from a marginalized community, another reason why folks code switch is so they can get the job. Mm-hmm. If you think about my name, Rob Dunwood, it doesn't sound like a black name. My grandfather actually, actually it wasn't my grandfather, my great grandfather, um, his grandfather was the first free, you know, he, he wasn't born free. He was actually born a slave, but he was freed, uh, you know, back in, you know, you know, you know, at the end of the civil war mm-hmm. when he, uh, you know, was freed, 
his name was Dunwoody, basically because he was, you know, from the Dunwoody plantation in, in Georgia, right around the Atlanta area. Uh, he was like, when, when he became free, I don't want my name to be Dunwoody anymore. Now, remember, he was a slave. He didn't know how to read. So he was like, take that E off the end and just put it in the middle. And so, so you want you, so you want your name to be Dunny Wood? Like, no, I don't like that either. Just make it Dunwood. That that is literally why my name is not Dunwoody mm-hmm. and Dunwood because my my grandfather's grandfather decided that he did not want to be associated with the Dunwoody plantation. So take the e off the end, not realizing that it was a y because he couldn't spell. Um, so my name doesn't necessarily sound like a black name. So when I'm trying to get the job, if I'm on a phone interview mm-hmm. and I sound black, that is enough to, you know, no matter, you know, you don't get to where do I go to school? What have I done? What do I know? Just the fact that I sound black is enough to not get the, you know, the call in to actually come in in person. That's still a real thing. Mm-hmm. So that code switching there is not because I'm trying to make anyone else feel comfortable. I'm trying to survive in America. Um, by not giving up right away. Clearly, you're going to see when you get me in the office, hopefully the fact that you've brought me in, you're at least going to listen to what I have to say and I now have a shot. But if you hear uh, you know, it in my voice on that initial telephone screen, you may never get the interview. That is a very, very real thing. I hope that it is it is it is becoming less and less as we as we move along. But when I first started doing this stuff in the mid nineties, mid to you know, mid to late nineties, that was a real thing. I wonder if that uh, some of it's conscious, but the part of that that is subconscious for for people screening is that they code hearing your natural way of talking uh, as lower class, the way that a southern accent is often coded as lower class. Uh, and then you combine that, of course, you know, with conscious biases, uh, and that's going to play into that. Uh, and code switching actually hides that problem, right? So it's a self-perpetuating thing where if people got used to hearing that uh, and knowing like, oh, when someone talks like that, that doesn't mean that they are unqualified, uh, then maybe that fades away. But that's a lot of work. Uh, and a lot of lot of lost battles to get there, right? So, like I said, it is it is it is a mechanism to mm-hmm. move throughout society the way that it is. Yeah. Um. And you know, like I said, it's it's been happening for hundreds of years. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. But you are seeing that there is a pushback. Uh, you know, organizations that actually truly believe in diversity, equity, and inclusion um, initiatives. They actually say, you know what? This is not good for our organization. Right. Um, there, there are study after study after study after study that will show that when you have a more diverse, uh, you know, an inclusive workforce, you're generally going to have happier employees and you're going to ultimately make more money. So a lot of companies say, well, we want to make more money. How do we do that? So they start to look at these things and you will find that, uh, you know, and, and particularly because I'm in IT, this isn't, you know, an, an area that I would say that I have some expertise in. Um, it's not hard to find um, good African-American employees that can work in IT. Clearly, there is a there is a gap, but they're not hard to find. What you will find is that organizations, their issue is not finding African-Americans to work at the, in an organization. It's keeping them there. Mm. 
And that comes because you get the job, but but just culturally, it just does not line up with you. You literally work in a place that you don't particularly feel like you have any friends. You can never relax. You're always on. You're always guarded. And there's another opportunity to where, well, maybe it'll be different there. So I'll hop over to this other organization just to see if I can actually relax and let my shoulders come down because they're a cooler company to work for. That happens a lot. In IT, I would imagine it happens a lot just across, uh, you know, every industry in America. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. It's not our topic to to address, but uh, I think it's worth noting that there are similar issues with Spanish speaking people as well. Uh, they're, They're different. Uh, but the, but there's an intersection there of the same thing. If, if you grew up speaking Spanish and English is a second language, even if I'm not even talking about immigrants, I'm talking about areas of the, of the U S where, where people grow up speaking Spanish first and they learn English at school. It's, it's a similar thing. It's a, it's a, it's not the same. Uh, and I probably should have a separate guest on to talk about how it's different, but, uh, you know, there, this is not the only example, but learning about these examples, I think is important because of what Rob was saying, because if you have somebody who is tense, who's code switching and carrying that cognitive load and feels out of place, uh, they're not going to be as productive. They're not going to be as, as good. And like Rob said, they're going to leave. I've, I've seen it happen many, many times in my career. And it is simply just because, like I said, you know, I just, I, I've had people come and talk to me about it and, uh, you know, being an African-American um, and, you know, just sometimes fo- folks, will, even though they're not in my department, they're just in another part of the organization, but having been, you know, in middle le- management and low levels of executive management at uh, pretty large companies, um, I tend to have been, the black guy at the company or Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. in many cases, one of the highest ranking ones. So you will, you know, so you regularly see folks who come in and they just want to tell you a problem before they even go to HR and figure out, are you cool? And then it's almost like, okay, I can breathe. I can let my shoulders down. Let me tell you what's going on um, down in my department. Can you know, how can you help me or what you know, what should I do? Um, That, that is, that is exhausting. It, it, it really is. You don't know who your allies are. You don't even know that you can go to HR. Um, so you're looking for familiar faces. And th- there's a term in my, com- you know, in my community that all, all skin folk and kin folk. Um, and it basically means you don't, you know, just be, you can't just assume because someone looks like you that they're going to think and, and respond in the same way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I can say I've, I've been pretty adept at being able to see folks test me to find out whether or not they can actually relax in my office and tell me how it really is compared to, um, you know, how they have to be on guard, maybe in the department that they work for. 
You know, we've been talking about code switching, particularly in terms of linguistics and speaking and all of that. But I, I think you've sort of alluded to this a little bit. It's also thinking different. You you mentioned think like me. Uh, this is something I know is an issue for my wife, who's Filipino, uh, and and she talks a lot about how it's hard when you're around people who just don't think like you. And the way you think can be, it can be genetic. It's also cultural. Uh, and it's also language. Uh, language absolutely affects how we form our thoughts. How, how about that part of it? How much of it, uh, uh, do you think you feel in, in just the way you think of the differences in the way you think? There, there is a lot of that. So, you know, on, you know, on a couple of my shows, we don't shy away from it. The shows aren't about race uh, per se, but we always are going to talk about things the way that they affect us. Mm-hmm. And you know, I will say that most of my negative comments, I don't even pay attention to, but there's some that I will actually read because it's not someone who they don't think they're being racist or they're truly say, I, I think I might be racist in this way. And I'm not certain that I am. It's like, you know, can, can you help me, you know, navigate through this? Those ones I tend to, you know, pay attention to, but we're offered help on if you just didn't look at it through a black lens, you could really expand your audience. Well, okay. Well, you know, there, you know, I am African American. So there's (laughs) that. What lens would you like me to look? Well, if you could, if you could just see it from, from my point of view and what I don't think that folks who bring that conversation to, you know, you know, to me and to others realize is that, so your point of view is the default and I now need to make my point of view be your point of view. So you feel more comfortable with the things that I am telling you about the way that you treat me. That is emotionally draining to have to deal with that. And a lot of people, particularly when you get early in your career and you don't have the right manager, you don't have the right, uh, you know, the, the right, uh, you know, HR department, you have to sometimes explain or try to make someone who was treating you ill feel better about why they're treating you that way. That is, that is like a triple deke right there on you. It it, it is that, that, that that is hard to deal with because it makes you angry. It's like you are being racist to me, but I need to make you feel better about your racism towards me and explain it to you. And, you know, so like sometimes, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to try, but there's often times when, you know, this is one of the things that I am very unapologetic about. I don't feel like I need to explain anything to you at this point. Um, some will say, it was like, well, you, you should take the opportunity to try if somebody's trying to learn. And it's like, you know, I don't have time for that. You know, it's like, I need to live my life as well. Mm-hmm. So there are going to be times when you're going to get hit. And I'm, you know, I, I am not one to say it's a black thing. You wouldn't understand. But it's it it is a me thing, and I don't feel like explaining it right now. Um, you will hit that attitude fairly often with me um, when we start going down those kind of roads. I feel like it's a frequency issue, right? If you had to explain this once in your life, once only ever in your entire life, uh, I, I think I think it's pretty clear that you're like because you've already done it more than once. They'd be like, yeah, sure, well, uh, okay, fine. But it's, it sounds like what people aren't getting is that they're the only, this is the only time they've asked you, but it's not the only time you've been asked. Is that fair? Right. That is absolutely fair. So, 
So like sometimes, and I don't even say that it's most times. It's just like, if you catch me and I don't have time, sometimes you just, you just, I don't have time to explain to yeah. you um, right now. And I don't necessarily feel bad about that you know, <laughs> at, at that point. If you really want to know, come back and ask another question, go read yeah. a book there. There's all kinds of stuff that you can do. This isn't even about code switching, but I think it, it, it'll, it'll paint some light to you. So I used to have a neighbor. He's, he's moved away. Um, you know, uh, my neighbor, uh, married his wife, uh, with a, she was a black woman and had a year and a half old son. Um, his father actually, uh, you know, uh, was, you know, was killed in a car accident. So he basically is a white man raising a black son. Mm -hmm. And I remember, uh, you know, I've, I've got a, tr you know, I got a big, you know, truck. So we were going to, um, I believe it was Home Depot or Lowe's. And one of the things that I always do, I never drive with my wallet in my pocket. I never want to be in a situation where I am stopped and have to reach into my wallet and pull it out. I want my wallet to be seen. Okay. I'm officer. I'm reaching for the wallet that you see right here. Please don't shoot me. Um, that is something that my father trained me. I don't have sons, but I have trained my nephews and close friends sons to do this. And my buddy noticed that I, you know, um, every time we're getting in and out the truck, I, you know, I would purposely pull my wallet out and sit it right here. And he said to me, he's like, Hey, you know, he, he showed me one of these new Ridge wallets that's like really thin and everything. And I said, so, you know, I'm not pulling it out because my wallet's too thick. That's what he thought is like, this is basically not get shot protection. Mm -hmm. And he actually broke down in my car. He's like, this is just nothing I have to think about. But I have to think about it because I have a black son. And this is this is a conversation that I never would have ever thought about because it's just not my experience. So this is someone who's actually raising a black son. I, I can't imagine that there is a racist bone in this in, in, in this gentleman's body. He's a, he's a, you know, I, I would consider him a good friend to this day, but he just has different experiences. And those different experiences have created biases and you know, and, and things like that in him that he's not even aware of. This is, I, I didn't know that this was right. I, I didn't know that you need to teach your son to pull their wallet out in case they get pulled over. I can, I can absolutely understand why it's a, you know, it's a good thing to do, but I didn't even know that this is something that I needed to do. Yeah. So there's a lot of folks who come with questions like that, but it is still extremely exhausting. If every single time someone comes to you with something like that, you have to explain it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And I, I think that that really points to the fact that code switching is just emblematic of one of the things uh, that, that cause life to be more stressful for you uh, and, 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 uh, and black people in general, because there are lots of other examples of these kinds of things. Uh, and, Going back to what you said about getting feedback on the on the show of like, you know, why does everything have to be about race? I That question is, in some cases, I think, purely meant like, I don't understand. Why does it have to be about race? If it's asked wondering, wanting an answer, I think that's fair. If it's asked mm -hmm. meaning, please stop making it, that's a different question. But if it's why does it need to be made about race? I think Hopefully, after hearing Rob talk on this episode, uh, if you didn't know it already, you understand because for him, it is always it. You're, are you allowed for it not to be about race in your life? Not if you care about your safety. Yeah. I mean, maybe when you're uh, w with your family, 
It doesn't have to be alone. I don't know. Are there many of those those kinds of spaces? Um, yeah, the, the cookout is pretty is pretty cool. Uh, you know, I'm being facetious now, yeah, yeah, but yeah. but yeah, it's just like uh, um, you know, just, just other times, you know, ha- having worked at very large, uh, you know, software companies. I, I remember a time when I went on a sales call with one of my sales reps to. A, uh, you know, to a publishing company in Atlanta, a very, very, very large, uh, black publication. And it was, you know, it was probably 85% African Americans, probably six or 7%, uh, Latin Americans and the rest of everyone else. There was only a few white folks in this. And, you know, this is someone who I would also consider and it's like, so is this what it's like for you all the time? And I was like, what do you mean? It's like, I was like one of only a few white people and I really noticed it. It, Mm. you know, it, it really, it really made me feel some kind of way. And like I said, there are friends like, Oh yes, it's like this all the time. This is exactly the pressure that, you know, that we feel I'm being a bit facetious because it was something that he was experiencing probably for the first time. It's something that I've experienced every day of my life. Um, So there is a, you know, familiarity of how you operate in extremely white spaces when you look like I look. Um, but it was, it, but I'll, I'll never forget that because it was someone saying, okay, I feel differently, not because I'm threatened or anything like that. I don't, you know, he, he, he said, I, I didn't feel unsafe, but I noticed that I was white. I've never really noticed that before. It's like, he's like playing basketball. Cause that's how I actually, uh, you know, you know, became really good friends with her as we play basketball together. It's like, well, there's always a lot of black guys and a few white guys. Uh, so I've, I've, you know, so it's just like, I like basketball. So, that, you know, and so do, you know, these other brothers that are out here playing. So that's not a thing, but it's like, but when I went into a corporate space, I really felt I'm different for the first time in my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and, and, and it was, it was an honest question. Do you feel like this all the time? Um, and he, and like I said, he's a good friend. So we talked to us like, yeah, I'm just trying to make sure I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, I don't want to say something stupid. I don't want to say the wrong word and have somebody take it the wrong way. And I, like I said, I will never forget that because like, yeah, that's kind of what coach switching is. It's like, I'm trying to make sure that the majority of people are not going to be offended by how I talk. They could ultimately affect my employment. They're not going to be threatened by how I talk that I can, you know, affect me personally. Uh, you know, the employment clearly is personally, but I'm talking about, I don't want to be arrested because of a misunderstanding. Um, it was, it was, it was really eye opening for him. And it was even eye opening for me because I wasn't expecting that conversation because I, I was comfortable because I was with people who looked like me. I don't want to say that my friend was uncomfortable, but he didn't notice. I, I, I feel my whiteness in this space where I've never really felt it before. Oh, and I, I think the, 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 the bit there where you said, I didn't think about it because I was comfortable is, is important for anyone who isn't black listening to this or, or actually specifically for people who are white who are listening to this, because that's how you feel most of the time. And that's why you don't realize that this other thing is happening and why it's tempting to say, like, well, why do you have to make it all about race? I'm comfortable all the time. I think that's important to point out is like, yeah, Rob wouldn't (laughs) he wouldn't feel uncomfortable if he was in that situation all the time. But, you know, it doesn't really matter when or if you're not in that situation. You face it almost every day. Literally. Yeah. Well, 
I don't think we're going to solve this today, but I do think, you know, some of the, the things that, that are helpful is to, uh, is to expose yourself to other things. Seek out podcasts like the Tech John. Uh, go travel, visit other places. I'll be honest. One of the places where I have felt the most similar thing to what we're talking about here, as far as the uncomfortable, like I'm the only white guy was riding the 16 X bus in San Francisco, full of the old Asian ladies going down. I, I stuck out on that bus every day, but it was great because it, it exposed me and, and made me learn like what it feels like to not be the, you know, among the majority, uh, and, and learned, you know, what was going on with them and, and, and a different way of, of, of existing. And you need experiences like that, uh, in your life. Uh, and you need, this is why we were talking about diversity. You need a diverse workforce to bring different perspectives on things so that you're not all thinking the same way. Uh, those are the ways we start to break down these barriers and make it so that everybody can feel a little bit of comfort, right? Absolutely. And, you know, one of, you know, when, when I do talk about this, one of the things that I always say is that it doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, you know, uh, you know, Asian, you know, it doesn't matter. People basically want to, they want to go to work or run their businesses, do what they do, feel comfortable while they're doing it, raise their kids, you know, ultimately, you know, spoil their grandkids and, and just get along. Um, no one is really thinking about race all the time. But what you have to understand that when you are, you know, from a marginalized community, race affects you differently. You know, one of the things that we say on the tech, John, all the time is that, you know, tech hits different mm -hmm. to African-Americans. Um, and it is not always, I think a lot of folks think that, well, I'm not racist because I didn't call you the N word or I didn't do this thing to you. And one of the things that I've learned, I never, will call anyone racist unless they themselves say they are one, because that is going to break down any conversation that you can have, especially if they don't think that they are. They will become so consumed with fighting you on, on you call me racist and I am not that you literally can't have any additional discussion. So I will say that thing you did mm. struck me as racist. Now, sometimes it's still going to break the conversation down, but it's like, you know, um, you know, I, I've said this before. I, you know, in, in the secular sense, I don't tend to care what is in your heart. I care with how you treat me. So you can say, be caught on tape saying the N word. I'm not going to say you're racist because you said that, because if in your heart, you don't believe that you are conversation is going to shut down. But I, well, what I can say is, but I don't care what's in your heart. I care what you said. Mm -hmm. And on this video, you said the N word 19 times in, in a very not affectionate way. Um, that struck me as a racist thing for these reasons. So I'm type trying to take it off of the person, even though I believe that they are a, you know, you know, back at the crib, they might have a, you know, a, you know, a pointy hat, um, and, you know, a sheet with a bunch of holes. And I, I, I may actually believe that, but I won't say it because the conversation can't go any further if they don't, tr you know, truly believe that they are one. So I try to, you know, I, I try to not necessarily diffuse situations, but I want to point out the act and not the thing. But I say that to say this is that there's a lot of times things are biased, not because you are a bad person. It's just because you didn't realize or you just didn't think about how does this affect, um, you know, uh, you know, how does this affect, you know, other people? Tom, when you allowed us to launch the tech, John, you know, do, do the fee takeover on DTNS, 
one of the very first stories that we talked about, and it was this is one that you know people find kind of funny. It's like, you know, the the soap dispenser at the airport. It works perfectly fine if you're white. Mm-hmm. Not so much if you have darker if you have darker hue. Why? Not because there was I'm going to be um, you know I'm going to be explicitly racist and I want to make this not work for black people. You just had an all white um, you know team testing it and you never thought to test it on darker hued folks. So that's not you know so so I think a lot of times people hear well this is there's bias in this and what well, there is if you really think about it is bias because you didn't use a data set that actually encapsulated the population that you're selling these things to not because you are some horrible person let's hope that you you learn from this and you can move on um i i think if we could have more conversations like that without people just jumping to their uh you know to their factions well you call me racist so i can't even continue to have this conversation until you take that back yeah yeah um or thinking that the person who didn't think about the darker skinned person um, or you're a racist because you didn't think about me. It's like, eh, maybe not just, maybe there's just some bias there. Why I didn't. And if you can help me learn that I, we can move forward and, and be better. I think if we can get to where we having more of those kind of conversations than the, than the, than the former, we would be a much better place. Yeah. 100%. Uh, well, I, I, I can't, I, I don't want to add anything to, to that. That is an, that is an excellent uh, place to, to wrap up this conversation. Uh, I do want to play a word game with you, though, which is how we finish all of these. Uh, are, do you have anything more you want to add uh, or are you, are you ready to go to this or that? Tom, you know me. I will talk to you for 12 hours. <laughs> I know. I, that's, that's true. <laughs> you have, you, and, you, and vice you, versa. You have to tell me to shut up. <laughs> all right. Let's do this. Uh, I'm going to give you two words and uh, you just pick one and tell me uh, which one you're picking and why. Ready? Okay. Cleveland or Cincinnati? Cleveland. Oh, now, now people should realize that Rob's in Columbus, so he's midway. Why Cleveland? I'm, I'm, I am in the middle. Um, but I, I grew up on the Cleveland Browns versus mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh Steelers. I am from Warren, Ohio. It is 74 miles from Cleveland, 74 miles from Pittsburgh. My dad happened to be a Cleveland fan. My uncle happened to be a Pittsburgh fan. Ooh. And those fights were awesome. So, yeah, Cleveland, Cincinnati. I don't, you know, the Cincinnati Reds, uh, you know, I, I kind of followed them when I was a kid in this, you know, uh, yeah, I was I'm probably good, too though. young to really remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the big red machine. I followed um, the big red machine. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, five, so I was a l- yeah. little, you know, a couple, couple years behind you. So, yeah, like, yeah. I, I remember, but I don't remember. But man, um, I remember the fights. Over Cleveland versus Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So when you say Cleveland, Cincinnati, I'm going with Cleveland. That's great. Okay. Uh, this is going to be a past versus uh, present one. Android or Blackberry? Blackberry. Wow. Um, Stick it with the roots. Uh, you know, the Blackberry is responsible for what I do today. I, uh, you know, I know you've heard this, but I'll tell, mm-hmm. I'll tell the mm-hmm. listeners. I at one point ran a BlackBerry website, uh, remarkable that for many BlackBerry keywords outranked BlackBerry, outranked <laughs> research in motion. It was quite a large site. And it started off because I am a tech guy at heart and I'm anal about a lot of things. And there was this new thing called Blogger. And I started uh, basically, here's what I like about this BlackBerry compared to this BlackBerry. And next thing I know, Tens of thousands of people are reading it every week. Next thing I know, millions of people are reading it every month. Um, that that was what launched me into this. So it was it was BlackBerry blogging 
before I actually got into tech blogging, before I actually got into podcasting. Um, that is what started me off in this career of, of media content that kind of leads towards tech. Fast or slow zombies? Um, I've been watching this show called Black Summer. Mm-hmm. Those zombies are incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they really, there's so much running in this show that it's almost ridiculous. The, the camera people must be world-class athletes, but uh, I, I kind of like the, I like the fast zombies. Yeah. More, more entertaining. More entertaining. Watch. Yeah. All right. Uh, savory or dessert crepes? Savory. Mm. Uh, I'm not a big dessert person, even though I'm a big guy. I don't eat a lot of sweets. I am still shocked, and I've said this on multiple episodes now. How ma- I always thought this would go dessert, uh, but it has gone heavily savory. The world loves savory crepes. I had no idea. Yeah. NFL or NBA? Um, NBA, because I can't do that. Um, I'm a football player, so when I look at the NFL, ah. I literally look at guys <laughs> – how are you? How are you? How do you have a contract? I was better than you. <laughs> I, I literally look like that. There is no one in the NBA that I actually believe I am better than. Mm-hmm. Um, both cases is probably never true, but there are there are people in the NFL that I look at and it's mm-hmm. like back in my day, I feel like I could have done that better than you. That yeah. never happens for me in the in the NBA. It doesn't happen for me in either one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but you know what? Uh, that's weird though. I prefer baseball and hockey because I played those. I wasn't necessarily good at them though, so maybe that's the maybe that's the difference. Yeah, I, I played both. So yeah. you know, like like I just played basketball yesterday. Probably want to play mm-hmm, again tomorrow mm-hmm. morning. As you know, as a fifty year old, you know, as a fifty year old guy, I can't do that with football. Um, yeah. I have not played any organized football probably since I was in my mid thirties playing flag football. Mm-hmm. Just the body just doesn't hold up for that. Dogs or cats. Neither. None. No I'm, not, I'm not an animal person. Yeah. Grew up on a farm. Um, animals were food and tools. My uncle Harold always was like, love dogs outside. Let them roam. Doesn't yeah. have to be mine. Um, <laughs> I've got it the same way. <laughs> All right. Uh, barbecue or woodworking? This barbecue. is specifically about side conversations on the SMR podcast. <laughs> uh, barbecue. Uh, for me, I am not into the woodworking at all. It's just not something, you know, um, both Rod and, and Chris over on the SMR podcast, barbecue and tech, they, th- that is their thing. Um, but not for me, but barbecue is tasty. Yeah. So I'm not really into cooking it much, but I can if I need to. Yeah. And it's awfully good when I'm eating someone else's. Yeah. Can't, can't eat a desk. You can't, you can't. I mean, I guess you can make some food on a cutting board. So you're getting somewhere there. But. Uh, hot or cold? Hot. My hot. wife does not like cold weather, cold homes. Um, I purposely have dual zone in my house so I can mm. keep my basement at like 68 and the rest of the house at like 74. But you like the hot. Um, my wife likes the hot. Therefore, we like hot. Therefore, you like hot. Huh. Okay, yeah, I, I hear you, uh, Rob Dunwood. Uh, like you said, we could we could talk forever. It's always a pleasure talking with you, and and special thanks again for for taking the time to talk about this with me today. I appreciate you being willing to share your experience. Tom, it's been an absolute blast. Uh, thanks for uh, 
for having me on. And uh, like I said, man, it's a, you, you don't know Professor Crane, but that's a compliment. I appreciate you reminded that. me of him with that I, intro today. I appreciate that very much. Uh, tell folks about where they can go to find your stuff, where to go for SMR and Tech John and all that. So we are, uh, you know, my, you know, my, my baby right now is the Tech John. That is a show that we actually launched right on DTNS, uh, going on two years ago. And, uh, we are at the Tech John is just the Tech J A W N. Um, it is spelled a little differently. Um, you can also find me on SMR podcast. I've been doing that show since 2008. So what are we now? Year wow. 15, I think. Yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been, it's been a long time. Well, uh, thanks again, Rob. Appreciate it, man. It's been a pleasure. And thanks to our producers, Roger Chang and Anthony Lamos. Thank you for listening to this show and telling your friends about it. You can get an ad-free version of this show with Acast Plus. Click on access exclusive content at awordpodcast.com. We'll have a word with you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.